Saturday morning is time for Michael Nesco's Renegade Rock here on the Rogue Radio Podcast Network, bringing all the great interviews and music every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Man, we got a really cool guest today for the interview. 
songwriting legend, great musician, and I've known him for a while, Mr. Jeff Trott. Welcome to Renegade Rock, Jeff. Oh, thank you, Mike. It's a honor and pleasure. You're, uh, I've just been admiring your songwriting talents and uh, all the stuff over the years. Uh, we can we, we, we started off the show with a track called Forever by Cheryl Crow. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, I wrote that with Cheryl um, at the end of uh, 2022. It's actually the, the last song that we have um, written together and released. And how many have you done all together? Oh, I don't even know. With Cheryl, uh, I mean, a lot. Aside from what was released, you know, you add 50 to that. Right. Every, uh, you know, <laughs> no, I don't know. I, th- yeah, it's scary. It's a scary thought. But, uh, and some of those songs written might have been complete garbage, you know, like, right, right, right. Many songs. Until you find that right one that you feel like, okay, this is this is this it. People excited, you know. Um, so we wrote this song. We originally her uh, record label called Big Machine Music. Um, they had been after her to do, uh, you know, get back into doing some more rock oriented stuff, and um, so. You know, we tried, we did this, wrote this one song that was very, I guess it would be kind of like a, you know, Sticky Fingers period Rolling Stones sound alike. And um, yeah, when it came to actually writing the song, it just sounded too cheesy, I guess. You know, it's hard to write those <laughs> anthems without. Yes, of course without sounding like Twisted Sister, and no offense to anybody who loves them, but... Right, right, So we had a very difficult time believing, you know, what we were writing. And that is a big part of it, is... Believing. song that you really feel like it's coming out of your heart, and you really mean it, and you connect with it. Because if you don't connect with it, how is anybody else going to connect with Boy, it? Boy, it's so, great, great to hear you say that. It really is. Yeah, and it and it's... You know, so you have to have an attachment to it. And if you're not believing it, you could write, you know, any number of type of songs. And if you're not 100% into it uh, in or believe in it, then, you know, you, then you got to move on. And so that's what we did. And in a sort of 11th hour, last ditch effort, I sat down with the guitar and I was trying to come up with a, a guitar riff. And then I always come up with some sort of line or a title or something like that. Are you a lyric person first or a music person first? No, uh, no nothing like first. It's like I do it all. I mean, I write lyrics. I can write songs on my own. I like writing songs as a collaborator, too. So it, it doesn't matter as long as there's, you know. Stuff coming stuff. out. Yeah, you know, I I write a lot of lyrics. I probably write three times a week. Wow. Uh, so I have lots of ideas. I have many journals filled up that have, you know, chicken scratch. And sometimes there's a gem in there as well. But um, 
but yeah, so I, you know, it, you know, I don't have a formula, then that's probably what keeps me interested in it. It's, it's always a new experience. So I sat down and I came up with this idea and then I had this melody and I came up, I thought, okay, well, I'll come up with a couple of lines. And originally I came up with this line that is so cliche. It's probably been done a million times in a million other songs. It's, you know, nothing lasts forever. And, um, and the more, and the melody really worked great with that line, but I'm like, there's just no way in hell that Cheryl is going to like that because it's so, so cliche. Cl <laughs> you know, what, it, you know, how else, how can I twist this so that it's unique? And so I kept thinking, and, and I finally came up with this line that is, uh, uh, there's no such thing as forever. That's, but you and that's we, good. That's good. Yeah. So that worked out, and I I brought her, you know, some music, and I brought that phrase as a potential uh, chorus hook, um, and she really loved it. And we just sat down and started writing verses, and we had it finished in about two hours. Fantastic. It, yeah. So that was that was a really a quick one. Sometimes they, you know, you can be writing a song for a year, you know, and other times if you're really onto something that means something. Of course. You know, it's much more easier if you have a clear idea of what the picture, what you're trying to, to communicate. And I feel like that's like the most important thing as well, um, especially these days, you know, and it it is you know how you besides your publishing <laughs> yeah well yeah that too that's a nice thing to have um you know it gets more difficult in the business because you know everything is digitized and streamed and yes. all that you're really making very little money on streaming although it's the one way that people you know are finding out right so, so in a way, you're just kind of, it's like an advertisement for your great song. Exactly. And, but, uh, and then hopefully, you know, it brings in people uh, to... Yeah, but you, you entered the music industry before it was like that. So you know what it was like back in the day, selling records and CDs. Yeah. Yeah. And selling vinyl records, too. Yeah, vinyl records, right? So... Uh, still really a um, uh, a viable source and a lot of indie new artists are putting them out yes they're out and and they're selling them at their show for you know 25 bucks and that's how they're making ends meet and I think that's wonderful and it's great that people still there's you know a bunch of people that collect vinyl I, I still do. I know I the guy that signed me, Mike Varney. You you should see his vinyl collection. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it it eats up a lot of space, but man, is it worth it? It's yeah. the best. It's the best. Yeah. So so Jeff, are you, are you where are you from? Are you a native San Francisco? Or are you from other parts of California or somewhere else in the U.S.? Well, I. I grew up on, uh, in the peninsula, or on the peninsula. Okay. 
San Mateo. San Mateo. 20, 20 miles south of San Francisco. And then eventually, you know, moved out of the house and moved up to San Francisco and started playing in a couple of post-punk bands. And Wow. Who was the first band that inspired you to, to start your own band? Well, I, in high school, I did play in a couple of cover bands. And that's sort of like, you know, your learning grounds for how to play, you know, playing covers. Like we played Stones and Aerosmith and Lou Reed, Velvet Underground, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, all the good stuff. <laughs> um, and, and then eventually, you know, when I started going up to San Francisco, it was sort of the tail end of the punk movement. And there were all, everybody was starting bands because you didn't have to be that great. You just had to be whatever. You just had to be spirited. So uh, a good buddy of mine, um, Michael Stevenson, who played bass, was asking me if I wanted to like put some kind of music thing together. And so I happened to know of a drummer that I went to school with named Dave Warren. And we started this band called The Lifers. Um, and, uh, we ended up finding this, um, this singer named Clay Smith. And so, you know, we, we did that in the sort of early, I guess it would be 79 and 80 and up till, I don't know, maybe 84 or somewhere around there. And we went as far as we could with it. We did one tour in a van all around the country. Wow, that's great. Yeah, we had we had fun. We played in little dives and and that was a good way to learn and you know, to sort of learn your craft and learn the business. And then eventually um I was invited by this drummer named Brian McLeod to um play with this new band that he was in called Wire Train. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about Wire Train. That, that was your introduction into the industry, basically, right? Yeah, that was, you know, really my first legit band that had a record deal and all that. And they were big in the Bay Area when they came out. I remember all their shows were sold out, all your shows, everything. Yeah, it was, it was really, you know, I kind of lucked out and, uh, uh, you know, I I wasn't an original member. No, yeah, you came later, right? Yeah, I came after they had made two records, and they had some success, and then the, the guitarist and singer were just not getting along very well, so they were on the look for a guitarist, and then their, their drummer, Brian McLeod, saw me at some party in you know, the sort of uh, uh, warehouse district in San Francisco, actually close to where Oracle Park is. Uh, and I don't even know if that building exists anymore. Probably but not. Was, I went through there and it's all different, man. <laughs> yeah, it's all different. It's all, you know, offices and stuff. Um, that ballpark is beautiful. Yeah, that used to be a boatyard. I used to detail boats in that boatyard there. Yeah, you know, uh, it's funny. I think I did that as well. Um, I did some, where was it? Oyster Point. Yeah, sure. And then over in uh, 
Sausalito did the same thing, and that's that's backbreaking work. Man. It was, it was. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, you know, I joined Wire Train, and, and and then off you went. You were launched after that. It was World Party or something, right? Yeah, so I was in in Wire Train from sort of I guess it was eighty four, eighty five till about eighty nine, and then um, and then I was uh, right after touring with Wire Train. We op- we supported uh, um, this band called The Alarm, who were pretty big in the UK. They were big, yeah, and we also we we supported this band called uh uh let's see what were they water boys the water boys right and that's actually how i came to meet carl wallinger who used to be in the water boys and he was starting his own project called world party and he after seeing me sit in with the water boys for our very last show uh, he saw me sit in on the encore and play. Uh, we played "Purple Rain," and I got the guitar solo. Yeah, that uh, after the show, he approached me and he said, "Hey, I'm Carl. I used to play in the Water Boys. I sure would would love to um, have you play guitar on my uh, uh, first record." that I'm doing on my own. And so uh, I didn't really have the chance to do that with him, but um, I eventually, I I ended up playing on the second record, which is called Goodbye Jumbo. And it's kind of a indie rock cult classic uh, with songs like Message in the Box and Way Down Now. And it's a really, Maybe my favorite record that I've ever played on. Wow, that's great. Yeah. It's funny how it's funny how that happens and, and here you and there you were. Yeah. <laughs> the right the right place at the right time. Yeah. Things fell into place, you know, and uh I was right for the project and then I lived in London for a little bit. Wow, how groovy, man. How groovy. Yeah. That was in nineteen ninety and then uh you know, I had ran into some v- work visa problems and all that stuff uh, during those days. I think Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister. They had a lot of immigration problems, you know. They didn't want any. So they sent you home, huh? They sent me home, and I ended up uh, getting home, and my band, my old band, Wire Train, reformed with a new record deal. And so I made one record with with uh wire train or actually two records come to think of it but one was not released and then we ended up getting dropped and i don't know what year it was like maybe 93 or something like that or 92 and then from there i ended up playing in tears for fears no way you got into tears for fears yeah, yeah, I played with Fantastic. Them. I just saw them play here in Nashville and I love that band. They were great. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll tell you, they're still They're still out there, I know. They had a, you know, Billboard album number one album uh last year wow. with this a, a record their brand new record or year old record is called Tipping Point. 
or the tipping point. And so we went and saw them and I got to see uh, Roland Orzabal and Kurt Smith after the show. It was really wonderful. Nice. This is Mike Onesco. You're listening to Mike Onesco's Renegade Rock on the Rogue Radio Podcast Network. We're talking to singer, songwriter, guitarist, recording artist extraordinaire Jeff Trout. We're going to take a little break and we're going to go to another tune that he co-wrote with Natalie Wembley and we'll be right back with Jeff Trot. Jeff, that was a great tune, uh, the Heroes. Tell us about that. 
Well, okay, so um, not to not to interrupt the flow of a <laughs> of a timeline here, but we got to talk about it, or I'll forget to ask you about. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so I uh, there's this really great singer songwriter in Nashville named Natalie Hemby, and she is uh, she writes with you know Big Little Town and a bunch of top country artists. Wow. She's really a great artist uh, in her own right. And uh, we got together one day and, you know, we're writing a song potentially for a big country act. And uh, and usually when you when you write songs and you write songs with like, uh, you know, two other people, as they typically do here, they call them three ways in Nashville. So uh, you have usually have a couple of people and maybe a track guy. Uh, in this case, you know, there were three of us: a guy named Aaron Radier and Natalie Hemby. And our what happens in a lot of writing sessions with other people is that you know you sit down and you start. You know, just talking about what's up or, you know, something interesting you heard or some music like. And then that dialogue turns into, you know, fodder for writing a song. And so um, I had mentioned something like, you know, gosh, you know, I've in my time, I've met a lot of celebrity musicians and, you know, I've met just you know actors and everybody (laughs) everybody and 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 occasionally and you you know in your mind you have the thought that the celebrity is a certain way and then exactly and they're nothing like what you thought they were and that blows your mind all the time it does yeah it's it's really uh astonishing um but i was you know telling natalie oh i met um I've met uh, Tom Petty before, and he was really great. He's, you know, I went on the road with this band, Pete Droge and the Sinners, and we opened up for Tom Petty for wow, two months. That's so great. We, we got to meet all of those guys. They're great heroes. Stayed friends with them for a long time. They're, they're true heroes. Um, but I had also met Bob Dylan. Wow. And Actually, it wasn't really a surprise that he, you know, he was very standoffish, and understandably so. He's probably one of the most famous people in the world. Of course, like, tired of people asking him questions. The or, same ones over and over, ever. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you know, you're my favorite artist, or whatever. You know, um, and um, so our conversation was like, you know, how they can be a disappointment. And I think Natalie had mentioned that she had met some famous actress. And so we were talking about this, how, you know, you can meet people and you think, you know, like you'll meet a comedian, a famous comedian or something like that. And in real life, they're not funny. You know, they're very serious people, but right. And so it's sometimes the opposite and sometimes a, a letdown. So we wrote this song heroes and I had the song, I did a little demo for it and uh, had the song for a couple of years. And then, gosh, I think it was, maybe it was 2020, uh, Natalie texts me and says, hey, 
uh, I'm going to release Heroes as my first single on my record that's coming out. Wow, nice. So anyways, it's, it's really cool. It's a much different version than what we originally came up with. Like I came... I, you know, over the years, I just have to compliment you. You are in a league... Uh, being a professional songwriter being thrown into a room with other people and and, I mean that's so hard to do I respect you so much uh, because writing original music is just not an easy thing to do man (laughs) no it's a challenge but I think you know I've been doing it so long that that it's no big deal anymore right well you know I've I've learned how to how to collaborate your your craft you're right and so um and there's you know you do have to be prepared you can't just wing it every time and i mean uh unless you're so overly prolific but right uh so i i keep a journal and i write down you know interesting titles and maybe wow, something i better start doing that <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's great it would, it's therapeutic as well um, I had. I bet. I read this book. It was called uh, "The Artist's Way" by Car- uh, I can't think of the author's name, Carlita something or other. And what it is is it tells you how to become a writer. And the first exercise is uh, morning. Pa- it's called morning pages. And what you do is you take a little notebook. And you have to fill up three pages every morning. Wow. It could be anything. Anything, right. You can write the same word over and over, you know, 300 times, you know. Um, but what happens is you get bored of, you know, writing like, oh, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. That eventually, you know, this is absurd. This is, And it starts... Um, jogging your mind and turning it into something. <laughs> so you do that every day. It gets rid of all the rubbish and static in your brain, and then you can think clear. That's a pretty good idea, man. So, Jeff, we're running out of time. Let's go back from the world party and how you ended up meeting Sheryl Crow and, and doing all the great Sheryl Crow hits. The very last record that I made with Wiretrain in uh, the early... 90s uh we used this record producer named bill Batrell, and he bill was a good friend of brian mcleod's who was the drummer in wire training and and bill used brian as his main drummer for a lot of his recordings including like some michael jackson stuff um nice bill had been produ- he produced that song black or white and uh yeah his name is familiar yes yeah he's you know he he used to be the engineer for blo and all sorts of stuff he's he's amazing and he's probably my mentor if i had to pick somebody he would be that he would be my mentor but anyway so we had done our last record with bill i don't know it was probably 93 or 94 probably 94 and he called me up one day and he said jeff you have a ton of gear at my studio and it's been here for well over a year (laughs) so i thought oh wow you know and he goes unless you want me to just you know use it and i'd be glad to but you might want to come and pick it up so i did that 
drove down to his studio in Pasadena and, uh, you know, walk into his studio and it was just, he was there alone with, uh, um, Cheryl Crow, who no was way. That's crazy. unknown, hadn't put out a record of her own, but she was setting out to do that with Bill. And, um, so he introduced me to her and then, uh, I went and picked up my gear and put it in my car and, uh, I was getting ready to leave and Cheryl comes running out of the back door, knocks on my passenger window and I roll down and she said, Hey, is there any chance that you could come back and help us record background vocals on this song? Bill says you're a really good harmony singer and I need a guy's voice on this thing. So what do you think? And so I thought, well, why not? I'm here. Why not? You know? Right. You know, and I didn't, I didn't really know her and she didn't really have a name or anything other than, you know, she had worked with Don Henley and Michael Jackson, but I didn't know that at the time, you know, she was just a, a new friend right? back in and, and, you know, put a mic up in front of me and I just ended up singing these oohs and ahs on this song called Can't Cry Anymore which ended up being on her first record, uh, Tuesday Music Club. Yes. Wow. So that's how we met. That's fantastic. And the rest is history. I mean, I, I would just give one. I would love to have one song that I could, you know, like Norman Greenbaum, you know, that kind of thing. And, and here you've got all these great songs. I'm very cool, Jeff. Very proud of you. I mean, I'm a, really, a, from Don Lucas Cadillac in Stonestown to... King of the world. I mean, it's really cool. And you seem really happy. Tell us about what's going on with Jeff Trott right now, these days. Well, I still write um, and I produce. I mainly, that's what I do. And I'm in Nashville, Tennessee these days. I've been here for about eight, eight years, maybe been coming out here for about 15 years. Um, and uh, yeah, I collaborate with a lot of New artist, uh, Aaron Lee Tashin is one that I, you know, did a record with him. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to end the, the show with that tune. So Great, yeah. So uh, that has an interesting story. So I met him. He was opening a show for Sheryl Crow at the Chastain Amphitheater in Atlanta. And I was there with Sheryl for this uh, Grammy summit or something like that it was a big interview with her and me for the grammys and um not for the grammy show but for you know the grammys uh organization you know and uh so she had invited me to go see her show that happened to be in atlanta and she told me about this kid that was opening up her show and his name is aaron lee passion and she said jeff you have to see this guy. He reminds me of a young Jeff Trot. So you just, you know. Wow, what a compliment, huh? So, so I did. I watched uh, Aaron play, and he had this just rocking band, and he was he was far better than me as a young man. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, so I introduced myself to him, and we became friends, and uh, we wrote a song together called. Uh, I think it's called At the End of the Day or End of the Day, End of the Day. And 
we and it came out really great and he was getting ready to make a record and so i just told him i said man i hope this song makes it onto your record because i feel like it's a good one and he said yeah i know i really love this one too so he was going off to california to to make his record uh he i think he was going to do it at the barn at neil young's barn or something like that and i was pretty jealous i was like man i wish i could go there that would be fun <laughs> so about a week later he calls me up and he says jeff there's been a big change of plan and uh the producer that was supposed to produce my record he and i had this disagreement about the record and all this and and so we're parting ways and i just want to know if th there's any chance you might be interested in producing the record for me in his place so i said of course i'm there, there you go that's great so it's a record an album called karma for cheap and it's you know kind of a power pop it's got it's, it's kind of a real crunchy kind of record but it has really smart songs some of them are pretty witty, and I just really love the guy. He's, he's fantastic. We'll check it out, and we'll be playing some of his stuff on the show. Jeff, thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. We could talk. I, we'll have to do a part two, because I, I want to talk to you about your guitar collection, about a whole bunch of other things. So maybe we'll have to do a Jeff Trot part two, because we only have a 45-minute podcast, so... It, it doesn't give us a lot of time to cover a lot of space, though. But uh, Well, I appreciate it, and any time. Once again, a big thanks to Jeff Trott for coming on Renegade Rock. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks a lot, Mike. Have a good one. Uh -huh.